to our feet. We're going to join our voices together. We are here for one purpose, to lift high the name of Jesus. So come on, let's glorify him together. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Yep. I raise a Gonna sing a little
My name is Matthew Pistemra. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Friday Night. And I've been coming to Friday Nights 14 years. And, yeah, I tell you that because um, over the most obvious statement, this last year has been very different. But this last three weeks, worshiping with you, my brothers and sisters, has been different. You've come into this place to seek the face of God. You've come into this place with hope and expectancy expectancy, and with worship. And that has um, caused us to not have enough seats. So I was coming up here um, to say we understand and we're so thankful also for your grace as we've pulled up more seats in the front. We have a couple up front if you're in the back. But tonight we come to worship the risen Savior. Amen. on with singing, I just, uh, I just wanted to relay the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, mm, think about that, the one who abides in me and I in him shall bear fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And Jesus goes on to explain in that teaching 
He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatsoever you desire and it shall be given. For in this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I don't know about you, but I want to prove that I'm a disciple of Jesus. And not out of strict works, not working and toiling for it, but by abiding in Christ. Could it be we're so restless and tired and burnt out because we haven't been abiding in Christ? Could it be we lack peace and we're trying to manufacture joy in our hearts because we have not let the words of Christ dwell, abide in our hearts? But I say tonight, may it not be so. May we take the opportunity, may we taste and see that the Lord is good. May we do what the, the author of Hebrews says, let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, the rest of abiding in Christ. So I wanna teach you a song. We started singing this song in our first Wednesday in January. I wanna teach you the chorus so you can pick it up. It goes like this. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my all, my treasure, my prize. I am yours, forever you're mine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Yes. Let me sing that again. Pick it up if you can. You're the way. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch, and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my all, my treasure, my prize. I am yours, forever you're mine. Draw me close and teach me to
as I enter rest, I depend on you. I depend on you for Take a, a Selah moment, a musical moment, just to let the music wash over us as we enter into that abiding rest. We abide. We let go of the cares of this world. your confession tonight. Sing it out to the Lord. Make it your heartfelt prayer. Church singing. 
planning on coming up at the offering, but I just, during, during this song, some of you come in here with such difficulty that you're facing. It seems insurmountable. Life has fallen apart. It's, it's like it's opened up from beneath you and the bottom is falling out. And I'm just here tonight to tell you that this is your anthem. You are going to make it. You are going to overcome. The body of Christ is going to rise up around you. The enemy loves to burden us with the lie that says this is the moment when it all falls apart. And when, you know, God's been faithful to other people, but he's going to decide to walk away from you now. And I need you to come up here tonight to rebuke that lie. To, to cast that junk out of your psyche and out of your soul. And, and God has always taken care of his people. You know in the wilderness they thought it was over. You know they thought it was over when Jesus was laid in the tomb on the third day. The disciples scattered and they went back to their lives and their heads were hanging. And they thought, we put our hopes in this one and here it is again, slipping out from our fingers. You will overcome. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. You will overcome. So tonight, if that's you and you just need, you need someone to stand with you by faith, could you just open your hands? Could you just say, yes, I, I need the work of the Lord. We want to speak blessing over you tonight. If that's you, we just pray the blessing of God. I pray blessing over you, brother, the peace of God over you, the provision of God over you, the favor of God over you, that you will not lack, that you will not fall apart, that you will not crumble, that the strength of God will rise in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your people tonight who are weak. We pray that you would lift them up. We pray that you would encourage them tonight. So come on, church. Let's, we're going to go back into this. Let's lift our hands and sing, We Will Overcome, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony.
giving tithes and offerings. This is not keeping the lights on in the building. This is not some spiritual duty. This is certainly not twisting arms into coercion. And let's come on, everybody. We give because one of the ways we help people overcome is by helping them financially. It matters. I can tell you a thousand moments in my life where, where I needed God's provision and the body of Christ rose up and helped me make it through. And so if God has been good to you this year, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. We feel a responsibility as the Grothys. God has blessed Lisa. God has blessed me. And this is a year where we feel a responsibility to go over and above because other people need it. And so if that's you, join us. Let's, let's take care of God's people. Let's be generous. Let's help people overcome with our tithes and offerings. Can you say amen? Let's pray, Lord. We give these gifts to you with all sobriety every bit of seriousness we feel the responsibility to be your people we feel the responsibility to, to strengthen the weak we feel the responsibility to come alongside those who need help we feel the call and you have been good to us and Lord we want to be good to others who need help and so Lord we give tonight by faith and we pray that you would strengthen the weary, that you would fill the pockets of those who need provision. We pray that you would heal the sick and that you'd raise the dead and you'd open the blind eyes. And for those who feel like they're on the brink tonight, let it be that overcome shifting moment for them. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. There's several ways you can give. You can give at newlifechurch.org. Hit the drop-down box, New Life Friday night. You can text it in. There's boxes in the back. However you're giving, let's continue to worship the Lord as we sing. Sing hallelujah. This is our song. Sometimes these moments just come and you need to make space. So everyone settle in. We're going to pray for a beautiful family that we have loved for so long around here. I want to invite the Caldwells and the whole Caldwell tribe to come up. Give it up for Josh and J.C. Caldwell. Josh, how old were you when you showed up at New Life Church? Do you remember? Twelve years old. Eighteen years ago, huh? Love you. There's a beautiful bride, JC, and they're 
the kiddos and one on the way, two kids, one on the way. They have felt the call. So we're going to do two things here tonight. They, Josh is our young adults pastor here at the church, and they've been serving faithfully in this congregation and been here for 18 years. Deep roots, family life back and forth. And Josh has felt the call. He's been working on his master's in theology. He's felt the call from the Lord to really go for it. And so they're going to move to Wilmore, Kentucky, to Asbury Seminary, and become full-time students with their beautiful tribe here. And they've sold their house, and they're going out there, and they're saying, you know what? All we know is that the Lord has asked us to do this next. And so they're obeying, and it's, it's, it's exciting, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, I'm mad, I, all of it. They are, so it's, it's, when you do life right, you can, you can miss people. You can say that it's sad, and all to be expected about the future. So what we're doing tonight is two things. We're praying them out. We're releasing them. We're saying, God, bless them and send them into what you have for them in the future. So we're, we're sending them with our blessing, but we're dedicating their two younger boys tonight as well. Because they said, if we're going to go, we've got to get these boys dedicated. So, uh, so anyway, can you tell us their full names and their ages? You're going to make me talk, huh? Man. <laughs> uh, Jensen David Jensen. and Ezra Bradley. How old is Jensen? And Jensen's uh, two and Ezra's three. Already dedicated Russ Michael with his stud right here to red boots. So can you stretch your hands out? What we're going to do is we're going to anoint these boys with oil, and we're going to speak blessing, pronounce the favor of God over them for all of their days. And then after we dedicate them, we're going to shift to pray for the whole family as they go into this next season that God has developed for them. So lend your faith. Don't watch. Don't spectate. These are our people God is doing something new, and so we're adding our yes and amen to them. So tonight, Father, for Jensen David, we anoint him in the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. For this beautiful boy, Ezra Bradley, we anoint him in the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we thank you for their older brother who's already showing to be a man of God. And we thank you that these young men will rise up. God, what you do all throughout scripture is you raise up kings to go into the darkness with the light. And we thank you that Jensen David and Ezra Bradley are those young men who are going to carry the light into the darkness. And so, Lord, we speak blessing over them. They need every bit of goodness that you are and every bit of goodness that you have for them. We pray, Lord, that they would laugh every day of their lives, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. We pray that the favor of God, Psalm 512 says, the favor of the Lord God will surround you as like a shield. So let your favor protect them. Let your favor guard them. Let your favor keep them. Let your favor crack open doors that no one could open for them but you. Let your favor keep them, Lord. We pray, lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil. Deliver them from the evil one. We pray that they would love what is good every day of their lives. And that they would hate what is evil. Give them a heart after Jesus. Give them a heart for the poor. Give them a heart for the needy. Give them a heart for the weary and the wounded. Give them a heart for the lost. Give them a heart for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant. Give them a heart, Lord, for the nations. We pray that these two boys would lay in bed at night and hear the voice of the Spirit saying, This is the way 
walk in it. We pray that they would never know any different. What a testimony of righteousness that I never knew any different. My parents showed me who Jesus is and I have walked in that way. And so, Lord, we thank you that they will indeed live a long obedience in the same direction, that they will go into the darkness with the love and the light of Jesus Christ. We pray, keep them in their bodies strong, healthy, vibrant, full of the spirit of God. We pray that JC would have prophetic words for her boys at every moment, critical moments of their life, to be able to direct them, to lay hands on them as only a mother can, to speak life into them like only a mother can. So Lord, give her precision. Give her clarity. Lord, for Josh, to be the man of God that you envisioned him, that he is, that he has been, that he was trained to be, a man of God, to speak life into his boys, to raise them up, to change the world. And so, Lord, we bless these boys. We thank you that every day of their long lives would be rich and full and vibrant. We pray that they would bear fruit bless these men and Lord we pray for their families in the critical moments the youngster that you brought to them and we pray Acts 13 over them that says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry and the elders prayed and fasted and they sent them out Lord we this is an Acts 13 kind of moment we, it seems good to us as much as we're going to miss them in this next stretch seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to set apart the Caldwells for the work to which you've called them. And so we send them to Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, and we thank you that everything they do will prosper. We thank you that everywhere they go, they'll have good friends. We thank you that every, every moment along the way, your provision will be there, that they will lack nothing. And Lord, we pray that Josh's mind would come alive with everything that you have for him. We pray that JC's heart would be marked for the ministry you put in this family. We thank you that these boys will be protected. Give them great friends at the seminary. And we thank you, Lord, that you're going to anoint Josh with the, a fresh dose of spiritual authority to rise up and to help lead the body of Christ, to help teach God's people, to help open up the scriptures and to show people the way and the truth and the life that is Jesus Christ. And so we thank you that they will flourish, that they will abound. And we thank you that they're going to have fun. <laughs> I want to break off the lie that says this is a moment where you wither. It's a lie. This is a moment where you abound and where you flourish and where you grow. And so, Lord, we send them to grow so that the church can grow. And, Lord, we pray bless these people, the Caldwells, and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them and grant them peace, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give it up for the Caldwells tonight? Thank you, Ben. Love you. Uh, do we stand up for one second and stretch it out or we just go to the video? Go to the video, you're saying, okay. Throw that uh, pr uh, bumper up and we'll open up the scriptures in just one second.
it's dangerous to get me emotional like that before preaching, any of you who know me. <sighs> if you got your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Obadiah? And as Pastor Brady says, if you know where Obadiah is, you're automatically going to heaven. <laughs> so open up to Obadiah, find it in the book. We're going to read a few verses here at the top and pray and jump in. We're going through a series on the minor prophets, so the major prophets are Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, which means they're, they're major because they're massive books, big tomes. The minor prophets are these little bitty stories, little bitty letters, little bitty words from God, but they have a major significance, okay? So week four of the minor prophets going through Obadiah, hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Obadiah. He says, see... I will make you small among the nations. This is God speaking through Obadiah. He's talking to Edom. I will make you small among the nations and you will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. Pay attention to that geography, geology, high up in the rocks. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, sheesh. <laughs> the word of the Lord, Obadiah coming out hot. Let's pray, Lord, we pray that your word would be living and active tonight. God, I do not want this to be about Daniel Grothy. If this is about me trying to be clever, we've wasted our time. If this is about me trying to be gimmicky and funny, we've wasted our time. But if this is about a holy engagement with God and his people, if you've decided to speak tonight, we're going to be just fine. And we know that you have. And so, Lord, I pray, let me decrease so that you might increase. I pray for every concern and everything that's plaguing our hearts and our minds. I pray for every distraction. I pray for every anxiety that has cluttered our lives like debris. Lord, I pray that it would be removed tonight. Make us available to you tonight. Open our hearts. We pray may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Have you ever read a short story that is so short, but like tells the whole human story? Or read a poem that's just like two stanzas long, and you just think, he said it all, or she said it all. Like, have you ever read one of those little bitty stories that does all of the work. Some writers have a terse economy of words, and they just know how to get a whole lot done in a very short amount of time. Welcome to the book of Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's 21 verses. One chapter, 21 verses. Obadiah comes out swinging as you see here, and he tells a big story in 21 short verses. In verse 1, he says, Obadiah's message to Edom. Now, Edom, if you were a Jewish 
reader, if you were listening with an understanding of the ancient Torah, if you knew anything about Father Abraham and his family, Isaac and Jacob and all these folks, you would have heard Edom and immediately that would have been a code word for you. You would have leaned on the front of your seat and said, where's this going? God's message to Edom. Obadiah has in his mind when he's speaking to Edom the very early and very crucial story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, twins tucked away in the womb. This ancient story, when he says Edom, the people would have immediately started thinking about Jacob and Esau. Now this word, Jacob, we obviously know his name was changed to Israel. The people of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob who wrestled with God and got his name changed. But Esau got a new name, a new tag around his identity, and he's known as Edom. So we've got Jacob, who is Israel. We've got Esau, who is Edom. And God is speaking here to Edom. So let's look at that ancient story real quick of Jacob and Esau, the two brothers. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 26, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Because Rebekah, his wife, was childless. So Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah, right? Isaac prayed to the Lord because his wife, Rebekah, is childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Mom, my mom had twins. She was five, you know, she's five two. And and was it 14 pounds of baby in in your tummy? Why has this happened to me? I, I, you know, 14 pounds. You know, she cries out like there's, a, there's something going on in her womb with these twins. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And thankfully, my sister's story is different than this story. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve The younger, in the ancient world, this would have been unheard of. The firstborn is the family representative. The firstborn gets the birthright. The firstborn gets the double portion. The firstborn, everyone organizes themselves around the firstborn. And so God says, the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. (laughs) Awesome. So they named him Esau, which means red or hairy and red. (laughs) They're like, we're literalists here. He's hairy and red, so we call him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand, look at this, his hand grasping Esau's heel. The second born is grasping at the heel of the firstborn. So he was named Jacob, which means he grasps or he wrestles. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. This is the story that Obadiah has in his mind when he starts talking to Edom. There was war in the womb. There was enmity in utero. There was a sort of amniotic animosity. Before UFC, they were locked in the octagon of Rebecca's womb, and they fought, and they fought, and they fought. They went five rounds, and at the end... You know the story. As they got older, their fighting didn't get any better. And in fact, it got much worse. We pick it up in Genesis 27, verse 18. Let me read you 11 verses here. 
It says, he went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. He answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, so Jacob is talking to his dad. His dad is old and blind and getting ready to die. Isaac is ready to die. Jacob goes in and he says, father, who is it? And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. So he's lying. He's deceiving. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game. He went to go get him a meal so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find the game so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. He would know if he would just rub that hairy red arm. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He had covered himself in animal skin and animal hair to try to deceive his father who's blind. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless Jacob who was pretending to be Esau because Jacob wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing of the firstborn even though he was the secondborn. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I might give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. He got a little bit loose and then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, oh, it smells like a hunter out in the woods and a hairy dude he blessed him and he said ah the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the lord has blessed may god give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine jacob is a liar He had built a career on deception and conniving and thievery and treachery. And Jacob steals his older brother Esau's birthright. It's the birthright to the eldest, the larger portion. Why? Because there's an expectation that the firstborn will take care of the aging parents when that time comes. And so they need more. But with that, they have blessing from God and they have blessing in the community and they have standing. And Jacob wants what is due his older brother. Genesis 27 is sort of the double wounding of seeing the story of Rebecca, the mother, aiding and abetting Jacob's deception. She's the one who actually crafted the story because she loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. So she got goat skins on Jacob and they trick husband and father together. You see, Genesis tells us the story of Jacob ransacking Esau's birthright. It's a brutal betrayal. No excuse, it's cold-blooded. It's embarrassing. It's heartbreaking. How do, how, do, how do the people of God live like this? But Obadiah, this book that we're looking at tonight, tells us the story of Jacob's descendants being ransacked themselves. So Genesis is the story of Jacob ransacking Esau's birthright. But the book of Obadiah takes us into the people of Jacob being ransacked themselves. Life is falling apart for these people who kind of stole their way into the blessing. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. The ancient seed of sedition has sprung up into a full-blown harvest of destruction for Jacob. We see the story in 721. So 721 is hundreds and hundreds of years later, Assyria storms in and demolishes God's people. 
586 BC, Babylon comes in next and they demolish God's people. And the seed of sedition that had been planted generations before is starting to come to harvest. What happens? Obadiah tells us that when Jacob's people, the Israelites, are going through their worst days, Esau's people, the Edomites, pile on. Have you ever been piled on? Life is already hard enough and then someone comes in and reminds you all you've done to mess it up. Or they, they sow lies into your mind or they, they punk you, they take advantage, they, 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 they rub salt on the wound. It's a, it's a double wound. Like, leave me alone. Don't you know what I'm already going through? The people of God, Jacob's people were already going through it. And then Edom, Esau's people, they come and they pile on. Edom's People initially stood at a distance and they laughed and they lobbed insults. Remember, generations of animosity. And they were going, yeah, serves you right, suckers. How's it feel now? We remember what your great, 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 great grandpa did to our great, 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 great grandpa. You reap what you sow, baby. Karma. Edom's people stood at a distance initially. They laughed and they lobbed insults. Psalm 137, verse 7. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day that Jerusalem fell. It was the worst day in our nation's history. This is the land you had promised to us. And this is the temple that we worshipped you in. And it all came crumbling down. And remember what those darn Edomites did. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. This is like their 9-11 moment, and there's people on the fringe of town going, yeah. Can you imagine the desecration? And, the, and like, there's just certain things you don't do. But actually, when your blood is boiling with hatred and bitterness against something else, there's actually nothing you won't do. And the Edomites are going after them. They're piling on. But they don't just stay at a distance laughing and lobbing their insults. Edom takes it a step further. Edom storms in to take advantage. They plundered Israel's cities. They started looting and getting their hands on anything they could take and taking it back to their their town in the high rocks. They would go down and, and, and celebrate and throw parties at all the goods, the gold and the silver and the booty that they brought home that they didn't fight for, that they didn't deserve, but they just took advantage of the situation. And, and while they were in Israel, they were desecrating the ancient graves of the Israelites' grandparents because of what happened to their forefather Esau, piling on. They abused Israel's refugees. In fact, there are stories of some of the survivors of Israel. They got out before before the war collapsed in on them. They were running for the hills to protect their lives. But some of these Edomites captured them and they took them to the Assyrians and to the Babylonians just to pile on. They gave them over people who were free running away. The Edomites stole them and took them to their captors and they were led off into exile. Can you imagine Oh, so your dad wants to steal our dad's birthright? Well, how's that working out for you now? This is exactly what's going on between Jacob and Esau's descendants. Look at the cycle of brotherly betrayal that kept going for over 1,000 years. Look at this kind of round numbers. Abraham is 2000 BC, we'll call it. Round numbers. So Jacob and Esau come in about 1800 BC and Obadiah is writing in 586 BC. We're talking about nearly 1300 years of back and forth 
brotherly betrayal, nation rising up against nation. The people that shared a womb together, now their descendants are putting each other in tombs. Do you see how perverse this is? Do you see how heartbreaking this is? And Obadiah is aching for someone to stop the madness. You know, at some point along the way, when you're caught in a loop of madness, when you're caught in a loop of bitterness, when you're stuck in a cycle of retribution, when you're trying to live your life so that other people lose, so that you can win, someone's got to break the cycle. Someone's got to throw themselves in the machine and go, this thing stops with me even if it kills me. And Obadiah is saying someone has to stop the madness. This story shows us a people that are gloating at someone else's misfortune. So what does Obadiah say to these people who are gloating at someone else's misfortune? The first thing he says is that all lofty pride will be brought low. Remember, he's speaking to the people, the Edomites, who lived south and east of Jerusalem, and they lived up in the high rocky crags. These were a rugged people, difficult terrain. They figured out how to settle a little uh, establishment up in the hills. These are, these are hardworking, salty people, hands like sandpaper, and they can do anything. He's talking to them. They were so proud of the life they had established, speaking to their geological realities and to the landscape, to the people of the crags that are perched high on the rocks. He says... God will bring you down for your pride, for your arrogance, for piling on people who are in their worst moments. God sees that and God does not play around with people who gloat over someone else's misfortune. They're peering down, perched from their rocks, laughing at other people and pointing the finger. God says, wait, you're rejoicing about someone else's worst day of their life? Proverbs 17, 5, Solomon wrote, if you make fun of poor people, you insult the God who made them and you will be punished if you take pleasure in someone's misfortune. Proverbs 24, 17, Solomon again says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Otherwise, the Lord will see and disapprove I would love to say I have no idea what he's talking about here, but I think all of us, if we were honest, on our worst days, we've looked at other people's misfortune and we've kind of had a little smirk. Well, you cut corners a decade ago and it's kind of caught up with you. Yeah, we all kind of saw that and you, you, got a, you got out in front of the line and, and kind of all of us knew that it didn't add up and finally, you know, it, it worked itself out in the end and we, we, we want to, sometimes we'll, you know, kind of cloak it in religious speech. Well, you know, if you just would have honored the Lord. As if we honor the Lord. Right, you know. And Obadiah says, the pride of your heart has deceived you and you will be brought low. If you live gloating over someone's misfortune, it's going to catch up to you. The second thing that he says, he reminds them that we will all stand before the Lord. <laughs> What do the people of Israel do when they hear this prophetic oracle against Edom, right? These are Jacob's people, and, and, and Obadiah comes out swinging against old Edom, Esau's people. And Jacob's people go, get them, God. 
Yeah, baby, let it rip. Just don't hold anything back. Just pile, just give it to them. Say it like you mean it and say it to the strength that you feel it. Go for it. The people of Israel were so excited that God had words for Edom. But Obadiah says, oh, but he has words for you too. We will all stand before the Lord. We all love it when God goes after all those bad people out there. God, like a, a parent, you know, my kids, it's, it's funny. Do any of you have kids that tell on the other kids? And they come in just holy, just holy, you know. Lord, Mom, I was in my prayer time and the Lord just really spoke to me that. <laughs> and they start telling me something that their brother or their sister did. And I go, oh, you mean what you were doing 90 minutes ago? You know, just, just really concerned about their eternal future. And their soul, the state of their soul. And I just really think they need to be grounded for a month. And uh, like, that sword cuts both ways because you were doing that 90 minutes ago. And these people, Jacob, were going, get them, God. And God goes, it's you too. Jesus, judge not lest you yourself be judged. For in the measure that you use, it will be used to you as well. I just want to say, learn to be absolutely quiet when it appears someone else is being judged. Shh. Be quiet. And know that a time will come for you to give account before Jesus. This is not something where we get to get excited about someone else standing before the Lord. Why? Because our time is coming. All of us come into the presence of the Lord. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and but for the grace of God. And if God isn't merciful with us and if God kept a record of sins, oh Lord, who could stand? This is what the psalmist said. We all come into the presence of the Lord and we fall on our knees asking for mercy and we don't come in as if we've lived a better life than someone else. We just come in saying, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? When someone else is, is, is dealing with God face to face, learn to be absolutely quiet. And prepare your heart for the moment when the Lord will look you in the eyes. All of us need to live with humility. Obadiah, he says, someone has to stop the madness. And after 1,300 years of this cycle of retribution and generational curse and rivalry and going from the, from the womb, the amniotic animosity and grabbing at the heel, someone's got to stop the madness, says Obadiah. And, I, and, I, and there's this man called Jesus Christ who showed up. 500 years after Obadiah wrote his oracle to the nations, this man, Jesus, lived beautifully and he lived faithfully. He is the word of God made flesh dwelling among us, the second person of the Trinity coming and healing the sick and raising the dead and opening blind eyes and coming and lifting up the poor from the ash heap and, and bringing down haughty princes and Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he's walking the dusty streets of Palestine and the good news is that Jesus came to stop the madness. Jesus came to throw himself in the middle of the machine, to be eaten up by the animosity, to be torn asunder. He stood between the two sides, Jacob and Esau, and they previously were destroying each other. And Jesus took it from both sides, and he himself was exhausted on the cross by Jacob and Esau's descendants and by the nations, the Gentiles and the Jews and the Romans. All of us piled on to this man, Jesus Christ, and we killed him. 
And in doing so, somehow, mysteriously and miraculously, and in the economy of God's salvation, the madness was stopped. Jesus was ransacked so that we could be restored. Jesus came and took it from all sides. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, I'll skip to verse 14, Bruce. It says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has, look, made the two groups one. He has made the two groups one and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself, look, to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death Their hostility, Jesus Christ came to stop the madness. Jesus Christ came to take the two groups and to make them one, the the Hutus and the Tutsis, to make them one, the Ukrainians and the Russians, to make them one, the rich and the poor, to make them one, the black and the white, to make them one, the Democrats and the Republicans, to make them one, the high church and the low church, to make them one, the people on the south end of town and the people on the north end of town, to make them one, Jesus Christ was broken so that two groups could be made one new family, one new humanity, so that the hostility could end, so that the madness could stop. Only Jesus could do this. If it were me, I'd have been keeping score. Jesus comes and goes, it doesn't even matter what the score is. Crush me so that all of us can win. Yeah, that's fine, Edomites. Yeah, Jacob, you've got your stories. That's fine. Let's do some counseling. Crush me so that all of us can get our right minds back. That's fine. Tell your stories. That's great. Bring it to the table. Let's put it on the table. I'll absorb it in the cross so that we can all have a meal together. Broken. The one man broken asunder so that the two groups could be made one. Corey Ten Boom. Beautiful woman, woman of God from Holland. My dad got to be with her at, toward the end of her life. Was she five feet tall? Maybe, Dad. 4'11 comes into this beautiful room. 4 feet 11, power in the spirit. Corey Ten Boom walks in the room, and you know she's there. You know someone knows God. And she tells the story of creating a hiding place in Holland for all the Jews who were leaving Germany. They were being destroyed. They were watching their people getting taken off to concentration camps. And, and like the Israelites who ran from the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they, some of them got out of there and they got to Holland. And Cory ten Boom, they'd cut out a, a hole in the wall and they were hiding people. It was called the hiding place for Jews escaping Germany. And somehow someone ratted them out and they were caught by the, the Nazi regime and they were arrested and they were taken to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany and, and Corrie ten Boom and her sister and many of her family members were taken there and, and her sister died in the Ravensbrück concentration camp somehow by the mercy of God who knows, just who knows what God is doing but somehow Corrie was able to get out and in 1947 she went to Munich, Germany Two years after the war had ended, and she was preaching to these people. Two years after the war had ended, six million Jews killed. Like the dust had not settled. No one could make eye contact. And the the nation of Germany was just broken, and their hearts were broken. And two years after 
I mean, talk about guts. A four foot eleven Hollander going into Munich, Germany. And she's going to preach on forgiveness. Sister had been killed in the concentration camp. And she's preaching and she's looking through the room. And she's making eye contact with all the conviction that the Holy Spirit can give. And she's calling for forgiveness. And as she's looking through the room, she locks eyes with the man. And all of a sudden, she has a flashback. And that is the prison guard who led her sister to die. In Munich, Germany, two years after the war. And here she is preaching on, on forgiveness in Germany and all of a sudden she said it, it just felt like I, I, can't, I can't go on, I can't say this. Can you imagine the emotion of looking the guy in the eyes who, who led your naked sister? She said, I, as I was preaching, I was having flashbacks of me and my sister naked, stripped and embarrassed, being led by this man and he ultimately took her into the chamber. And here she is preaching on forgiveness in his presence. She said, I finished the sermon, I could barely, I could barely finish and he starts walk. everyone leaves and he starts walking down the center aisle. And she said, I put my hands in my pocket and I, I looked down and I, everything in me wanted to collapse and go inward just to protect myself because this is the one who took the life. He was responsible for the death of my sister and he, we were naked in front of this man. And he's walking toward me. She said, now he was in front of me and he thrust his hand out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard in there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Can you imagine? How dare you? You don't get to ask me for that. If I decide I'll come your way, you don't walk down the aisle, you don't talk to me. Roiline, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? She said, I said, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. She said, Jesus, I can't lift my hand. She said, it must have been 10 seconds, but it felt like the world has stopped. Jesus, I can't. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you must supply the feeling." She took her hand out of her pocket. She stretched it out. And she said, I forgive you, brother. As she wept, I forgive you, brother. With all my heart. She said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former naked prisoners. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. The good stuff is in the costly stuff. Reflecting on that moment, she said, quote, since the end of the war, 
I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was, a, it was as simple and as horrible as that. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Esau. It doesn't work. You want to live with hundreds of years of animosity? You want to try to win at the expense of someone else? You want to think that the world is a scoreboard? You want to live in that dog-eat-dog kind of back and forth where you think you have to step on someone's head for you to get ahead? It doesn't work. Corey Tin Boom said, I've never known God's love so intensely as the moment when I shook my sister's murderer's hands and through tears said, I love you, brother, with all my heart. The good stuff is in the costly stuff. The last verse in Obadiah gives us great hope. It opens up with such a terrible specter for the future. There's no hope. There's no way that these two groups can come together. But then this man, Jesus, is, is splitting into the middle of human history so that he can be destroyed by both sides. He can be torn asunder so that one new humanity can be brought together without hostility. And Obadiah, through the eyes of faith and by the Spirit of God, prophesies about what the future is going to look like. And in the last verse of the shortest book of the Old Old Testament, he says, the remnant of the saved in Mount Zion, Israel, they will go into the mountains of Esau, Edom. They're going to go down to the south and east, up into those rocky crags. The people of God will leave the promised land, and they'll go down to the land of their fiercest enemies. And they will rule justly and fairly. A rule that honors God's kingdom. Instead of sticking it to their enemies, they're going to kiss them on the cheek. Instead of sending all their kids to the ghetto, they're going to put all their kids in the same school and figure out how to make it work. Instead of cursing, they're going to bless. Instead of striking them down, they're going to invite them to the kitchen table. Instead of speaking evil, they're going to say, I love you, brother. And I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. And in doing so, they will never have known the love of God as intensely as that moment. In the end, says Obadiah, when God's kingdom has come on the earth as it is in heaven, and when he finally touches us by his spirit, we'll be able to look all those people in the eye, and they'll be able to look us in the eye. And all the heel-grabbing animosity from the womb will be broken, and we'll go, you want to eat? Because... The Lord created a table for all of us. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. How in the world could we ever do this? It's impossible, they say. And here you come saying, with man, it is impossible. But with God. All things are possible. And so we pray, make it possible tonight. In our hearts, in our minds, in our psyche, in our future, make it possible. 
I want you to right now think about the people who are high on your list. Who are the Edomites in your mind? Sincerely, I want you to, I want, I want you to just bring those people to your mind. And it may take you, it may feel like your hands are in your pocket and, and, and the person who hurt you is standing in front of you and you could never do it. Just like Corey felt that night with that guard. But tonight, Jesus is here to heal that. Jesus is here to make a future possible. And so if you can, I'm not here to manipulate you, but I think the hard stuff leads to the good stuff. So if you can just begin to say, if you can find one nice prayer to pray. If all you can muster is, Lord, help them. Would you pray it? If you can say, Lord, bless them. Pray it. If you can say, Lord, forgive them. Pray it. If you can say, Lord, be good to them. Pray it. Because Jesus, in reality, that's what you did about us. You forgave us. You blessed us. You opened your arms to us. And so we pray, Spirit of God, make it so that we can do that for others. Would you stand with me tonight and get your communion elements ready? Would you open that up and... Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, seated at the table with his disciples. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I will be torn asunder so that humanity can be put back together. I'll be shattered so that you can be healed. I'll stand in the middle. I will end the madness by being broken for you. Jesus takes the bread tonight and he gives it to you and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you just break it in your fingers there in two? And he said, as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Remember what I'm like. Go and do likewise, says Jesus tonight. So Jesus, we receive from you broken body. We receive from you wholeness. We receive from you the courage to forgive, to be broken for other people. We receive that tonight. You may receive the bread. On the same night, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. Costs everything. The good stuff comes from the hard stuff. This is my my new covenant with you and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. All the old Esau story washed away. All the old Jacob animosity washed away. All the divisions, the two groups, all of that has been healed, washed away. As often as you do this, remember that. Remember who I am. Remember what I do. Remember how I work. And so Jesus, thank you for cleansing us tonight. Thank you for washing all the old story away. Thank you for deep forgiveness. Mind, body, soul, spirit. Heal us, we pray tonight. You may receive the cup.
put that cup down. And would you just begin to open your hands and call on the name of Jesus and bless the name of Jesus. Give praise to the name of Jesus. Let's sing this together as we glorify Jesus Christ.
bring the lights down. Seth, you'll know this one. Come on, church. Church, louder, sing it from the depths. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt I pray tonight as you go. May the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and grant you and all of your people peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's give it up for the Lord what he's done here tonight. Good to be in the house together. Thanks so much for coming. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.